This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning, this is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined as always by Manchester United legend <clears throat> Paul Parker uh, to talk over another difficult week at Manchester United. Uh, Paul, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Wayne. But, uh, what did you get up to over the weekend? At the weekend, I um, I went and watched a, a real football match where real, real decisions bad decisions by a Premier League referee who's dropped down a bit and couldn't relate to it. But I was at the home of Millwall on Saturday and it was a different level of football, but very enjoyable. Yeah. Um, feisty encounter against Luton with um, a bit of history. Oh, it's history from the mid-80s between those two and the police in suggesting it when I got off that train. I haven't seen, honestly, I, I thought I'd come at the wrong time into South East London. It was just right place everywhere. Honestly, you would have seen less crash helmets at a Hells Angels convention than what you saw there when I met what meant the police there were there at that stadium. Well, you look safe and well, so pass without event for you, at least. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah I slipped around the back and got away. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, no, no such luck with this podcast. You have to confront some difficult things head on. Uh, if you're watching live, please like and subscribe on YouTube. Um, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, feel free to get any questions as well. Um, good grief, Paul. I don't know where to begin with this one. Um, we're back, obviously, to discuss United's loss at Leicester. And if you thought last week's podcast was a little bit more critical than usual, then uh, unfortunately, I can't say that this one's going to be any easier. Um, even with almost 48 hours to digest the game, some things remain unpalatable. And I had the, the very um, nice relief yesterday of my nephew, um, who's only six, he's turned seven next week, and he won his first ever um, football tournament. So um, that sort of made up for my poor weekend, to be honest. So well done, Freddie, if you watch this back. Um, but then you have to recount the events of, of Saturday's game to sort of um, go into talking about it like we're going to do now. And it does remain unpalatable because, Paul, I don't know where to begin with it because we've talked about games as being the lowest moment since Sir Alex. And I, th- I thought... Um, Ollie had navigated through those difficult waters. We saw a lot of them in his first few months in charge of United. That we saw some really difficult games, 
And we sort of give him the benefit of the doubt with the fact that he inherited a lot of that. There was a massive mess that he had to sort of deal with. But, um, I mean, we'll talk about the bigger picture in a moment, but let's talk about the game itself. I mean, we went a goal ahead, um, pretty play before the great shot from Greenwood. Um, but from then on, I mean, I, I thought we were fortunate to be in the league. Um, the defending um, throughout the game was just shocking. Maguire, obviously not ready. All he came out after the game and said he should perhaps shouldn't have picked him. He was caught out on more than the occasions that led to the goals. Um, let's be brutally frank about the, the game itself. Only De Gea comes out of it with any credit because he, he sort of kept that score down for a long time. Um, it was a shambles of a performance with some of the worst defending we've seen especially on set pieces, which is even more concerning. Matic, arguably our best midfield player, or best outfield player, I should say. Um, he's still getting caught on the ball and at times being pulled around by a midfield who just absolutely bossed us. Um, we had an attack that didn't look as though they'd ever played or even trained together before. And then we got to a point where it was 2-2, um, which would have easily been more than what we deserved from that game. The shambolic nature of the next two goals really summed up um, a rotten afternoon for us. And Paul, you did tip that Leicester would end the run, um, the unbeaten run that's lasted for nearly two years. Um, we've got to give credit for that. Um, although United have been riding the luck sometimes. Um, but they did end the run emphatically and deservedly so. So you give credit to Leicester for for winning. But, oh God, there were ways to lose, Paul. And United just, they went to... It went to words that I can't even mention on this podcast. It was really bad. Yeah, it was bad. And but when you when you do lose an unbeaten run, you do normally find that it's normally lost in a bad way. It's normally a hum normally a humbling in the end. When you do get beaten, they're very very rarely narrow narrow defeats and whatever they are, you do get embarrassed. And you know, United were embarrassed. And to be honest, it's one of those ones as records. As far as I'm concerned, which was papering over mass, papering over massive cracks. You know, yeah. great they can go back and say, "Oh, this unbeaten run, it's beaten Arsenal." If I'm right, but then if you look at some of those performances that went with it, it wasn't good. There wasn't many outstanding away performances where you look at and go, "Oh, thoroughly deserved that." There was ones which they got back into games by luck more than judgment, and it's not the way to be in my opinion, that you have this great away record, but a lot of the time you've had to come from behind. And especially when your home form um, performances and win ratio is poor as well, it's definitely papering over cracks when, when you're using a away record to get yourself out of trouble. So in my opinion, it's quite good that it's gone now. Um, the next bit is the next game that's coming up. That's, that's the most important one. But you look at the weekend and... Everything that has come out that's been bad about Manchester United all come out in one game up against a team which was having a rotten time defensively and attacking-wise, and even in midfield that they haven't been right. Um, prior to the game, Brendan Rodgers couldn't talk enough about the players that he's got missing. You know, you, you know every, every excuse in the book was used by Brendan Rodgers. So now everything positive will be said by him by... By that, um, by that win they've got, he'll talk about performance. He'll be saying everything. You know, he might he might come out of it with a knighthood the way he talks. But um, it, it, but always when you do humble Manchester United, people do want to put you on a pedestal, and Brendan Rodgers will be looking for that pedestal after after that four-two um win against a poor Manchester United team. But 
when I've said before about everything comes comes into fruition, you look at that defence and everything about it come out. I mean, why you felt to, it was right to, to play Maguire, mm. I really don't know. I was shocked, absolutely shocked. Everything he said, it seems like he was trying to play in the mind games about him and about, you know, the where he was. And even even Harry Maguire come out and said something. You think, now you look at you think to yourself, you wasn't boxing clever because you wasn't ready for that. And he looked like somebody who wasn't ready. He played very tentatively. And someone like Harry Maguire with his body shape, with his agility, and the way he has to be to play a game of football, he can't afford to go into a game unless he's 100%. As you saw there, the way where he got caught out, it just tells you he cannot play unless his body and his head is 100% right because he, he's not that good about it. He's not natural in that sense. He needs to be in that way. And one player who always said that, which I know for a fact is true, Gary Neville. Gary, Gary's, Gary's one of those players. He had to wake up. He had to prepare properly. Everything had to be right for Gary to go into a game. If he, did, if he wasn't that way, even Gary put his hands up and say things weren't going to be right for him. I think Maguire's one of them. He has to look how he prepares, and he has to put his hands up and start being honest. And because he's got an armband, doesn't mean he has to play in every single game, even though he's, you know, he might not be 100%. He's got to be there for the team. There's only been one person or maybe two who could maybe have gone and done that United during my time, and that's Brian Robson, maybe Roy Keane. Mm. But not, not Harry Maguire. He hasn't got their ability to go and do that, and it showed at the weekend. Yeah, um, Rory Puss comment just said, morning, gents, morning, Rory, hope you're doing well. Um, I think that was it for me. Um, and, and they both sort of did a mere culpa after, I think, Maguire, I think, mentioned that maybe it was a bit of a rush. I, I'm not sure if I read that, but... Um, I think I did. Um, and Ollie obviously did. He came out and sort of said, like, I shouldn't have played him. Um, it wasn't just on Maguire, though. I mean, as, as, as poor as he was, um, obviously, he's going to be probably his worst game for us. Um, when when you have a player who's having that kind of stinker, um, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, you know, like, obviously, he was rushed back from injury. But when you have a player who's playing that poorly, if the team is playing poorly, they can really, you know, one big weakness can get exposed time and time again, as it did against Leicester, um, especially the, the shambolic second half. It was just unreal. Um, but the shape, again, was, um, I felt, a little bit off. Paul um, Matic and Pogba, I want to say that they, it was either Southampton or Wolves they played at. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it was Wolves in the midfield. Uh, they didn't look right then. Wolves were given um, given a lot of chances to score, um, and, and really, let, let's be again frank about it: no combination of players that United have at the moment ever looks like dictating a game. And other people are saying that there was a call to put Matic in because he's generally the more composed of the midfielders that we've got. But against a, a midfield that's as bombastic as Leicester's, you're asking for trouble, aren't you, really? Especially, I mean, that partnership, Matic and Pogba, which hasn't worked since we signed with both of them together. No, it hasn't worked. And one of the things that they couldn't do between them, and, well, not between them, the rest of the team is keep the ball longer because it was just mm-hmm. allowing Leicester just to break off of them and, and, and the sheer energy levels in that midfield was too much. They couldn't deal with that. And for me, Matic is still a very good midfield, but he has to have the right players around him. And he, he hasn't been given that opportunity tonight. And it isn't suddenly about him because of his age and becoming a poor player. It's because of 
the poor selection, the actual team imbalance, which is making him look the player that he isn't at this moment in time. And you could put him into other midfields in this league and he would look a better player because they retain the ball better and he would find, he would find people better as well. I mean, when you look at it, you know, he hasn't really got a natural such centre forward to play off who plays in the manner of a centre forward in that, in that sense. So it's very difficult to get that cohesion between the midfield and the front and the front players. Almost in, it's been almost impossible defensively to get any cohesion with the midfield because it hasn't been right. The balance is, is not right. Are the players right? We don't really know. We're never going to know how this is going to really work and fall into place unless maybe things change really off the field, in my, in my opinion, because it's, it's not going to get any better at this moment. If it does get better, it's going to be about huff and puff more than what it should be. Sorry, or a big change that Ollie's not so used to doing at the moment. You know, like one of those, you know, he's going to have to break away. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, the, you know, from his sort of the faith that he has in players, he's going to have to make a bold call in that. Um, obviously, the big counter conversation that's come as a consequence of that defeat is um, about, again, the pressure that's on Ollie and. He did have that sort of feeling where, and I'm not saying that this is definitely how I feel about this, but th- there's the general air of discontent that is familiar. Um, and what I'm talking about is that one game that all the post-Fergie managers have had where you wonder if that was it. And by it, again, I'm talking about something more specific or even more general, I don't really know, but well, I'll, I'll get into the, the point of what I'm saying. I'm not talking about the the lot who you know people said that he should have been sacked last season and all the general feeling of apathy from those fans. I'm talking about a game where you can tell that the match going fans who still will get behind him no matter what they begin to lose their faith. Um, I remember for Moyes, we had that calamity of the penalty shootout game against uh, Sunderland in the League Cup, which was one of the worst penalty shootouts ever, and it was like we we dragged ourselves back into a game that we were we were going to lose and then we lost it in farcical fashion. And it just sort of gave you the impression that nothing was going to turn around. And then, I mean, four, it was still four weeks after that when we lost against Olympiacos. And that, for me, was the game where you thought, no, there's something wrong here that, that's not going to get better under this manager. In fact, we knew that it was going to get much worse. And as it did when we lost heavily at home to City and Liverpool. Um, and... For anyone who watches this or, or listens back, I want to just say that the just a reminder that the last thirty minutes of that Liverpool game were incredible uh, in terms of atmosphere and the, the fans getting behind the manager. And it's not so much about like thinking that he's going to come come good and, and win. It's it's about getting behind the team and the manager at that point where he needed it. Um, under Van Gaal, we were eliminated from the Champions League, and it was obvious that Mourinho was going to come in because he was sacked from. Chelsea, and then we lost to Norwich and Stoke just before the Christmas with some of the worst defending I've ever seen at the club. It was obvious we were going to make a change at that point, but we waited until May. And Mourinho, it was more or less obvious from the 3-0 defeat to Spurs, wasn't it, when he put up the um, three fingers and everything. It could have been five, it could have been six, because they were just they were like a knife through butter in that game. And then we a few weeks later, we lost 3-1 against West Ham. 
Um, we put McTominay in defence a few a couple of months after that. He put McTominay and Matic in defence against Southampton. That was an infamous game where he, he said Pogba's like a flu, he's like a virus in front of the dressing room. So it was obvious. I mean, they were, what I'm saying is there were key moments where you could tell that the tide was turning. Um, and I look at this recent run of games and the idea that in September we were looking at a title challenge or people were talking about a title challenge that at the minute obviously looks laughable. Now I'm wondering if it is the players or manager that's mostly responsible, but it is, again, it's a line between understanding the size of the job the manager inherited and then that feeling of, is he going to do any better with what he's got? And Paul, that I mean, I just want to put a little. I'm not saying that I'm defending Ollie because I, I'm very much on this sort of curve where I'm thinking, no, oh, I, I don't know if we, if we can at this moment in time. I, maybe it's the time for the change. Um, but I do want to put the case there that he still has. Let's remember the best consecutive league finishes of any manager since Fergie in, in full seasons. He finished third and second. On last week's podcast, we both said they just feel like it's slipping away. We were worried that the job was too big for him. But I do want to say that he surpassed my expectations from when he got the job. The one thing I would say is that we've had sticky runs of form in the middle of seasons before under Solskjaer. And season on season, he has improved and progressed as a manager. I don't know if people are going to agree with that, but he's, he's definitely progressed the club um, into a further position than what it was. So that to me says that the current setup at least has experience of riding storms out to come out of it better. Now, I'm not saying that's a guarantee that this is going to get better. I'm just saying he's got experience of things improving. So I don't know if it would be a great move by the club in the middle um, of a run like this to dismiss him before he's had the chance to turn it around. Um I don't know, Paul, where, where do you stand on that? I mean, I, we've both been supportive of Oli, but, you know, we talk about these landmark games. We do remember the Olympiacos under Moyes. We remember the the Stoke and stuff under, under Van Gaal. You remember the Spurs thing with Mourinho. It sort of did feel like the Leicester game was like that for Oli. What one of those big games where you're thinking, he's had three years and they're defending some of the worst we've ever seen. It's a, it's a very, very worrying sign. I've, I've come, I look at it on my point of view is I, I'm looking at these games coming up and they might be able to get through <clears throat> through these games. Atalanta, who um, look at them and then you then you look at Liverpool, then is Atalanta again, is that correct? Yeah. Is that correct? And then, you, <clears throat> then you're talking about City coming up shortly. I think there's even the Spurs in the mix as well, coming up as well. Not that it's, but you know we should look at it. But we still talk about it. You're playing up against another big guy. It's another big game. I think we're saying that they're all big games. You know, after after what happened at the weekends, and yeah. I think we have to remember that my big my big point with when he took over is that he needed someone to come in and pacify a lot of people, not just the players. There was a lot of people in and around that club who who were made to feel uncomfortable because of the previous, um, previous regime and the manner in which they went about doing that job, the amount of people they affected in the wrong way. Manchester United wasn't a great club to be around. The training ground wasn't a nice place to be around. Ollie's come in and got it back to somewhere maybe near to where it was under Sir Alex, which everyone loved. The fact was then as well is that 
United were winning games. You know, we had a good start, and but then it gets to the point then when the club <clears throat> and I've been saying this from day one, and I'll always keep saying it because I've played under for five years. Sir Alex is a his whole thing. He was about performances, and when yeah. <clears throat> and then when I get shouted down by people saying, telling me that it's about winning. Then I, my mind says to me, well, if, you, if, you, if that's your kind of mindset, then you should be going to support maybe a lesser team who are just about winning rather than about performances, because performances give you a, give you a mentality that yeah. gives you something to aim for and gives you the good vibes of going to your next game without a shadow of a doubt. When you have a big game coming up, that game before is important because you're Yes, you want to win it, but you need that performance as well as winning. You don't want to suddenly not perform well, sneak a win and go into your next game because everyone is on edge, not just the players, everybody. So Sir Alex was going going into a big European game, going into a game against Leeds, City, Liverpool, Arsenal. was all about that previous game before you go into the big one. Just been mentally knowing that you're mentally prepared for it and that is a back of a good performance and hopefully a win as well and i look at united and there's no good performances or they're not there's not many that's the problem they're not there's not many there's there's nothing there to suggest to me at the moment it's going to get any better when i look at sancho 70 70 odd million for a lad which no one else was bidding on and yet he hasn't been given a run I think he needs maybe a run on the right-hand side, but the problem on the right-hand side is uh, Mason Greenwood is doing reasonably well on that side to a point, scored a great goal at the weekend. He thinks, I don't want to change him, but while he's willing to affect other people and swap them about, but he's not giving maybe a Sancho to do something better on on his more comfortable side on the right. He might be able to then feel more comfortable to go on the outside than what he is on the left because everything keeps coming in. And I always talk about force people inside. It takes them into the strength defensively, but the games change a bit. People don't really want to run around the outside anymore. And then you look at Ronaldo. Ronaldo was throwing at him. I don't know if he went out to get him or it was like a gift. You know, mm. a gift. You could have a player who's done this and done that, who you know. But then as well, on the other side of it, when you look at the people who are given the gift, all oh, that will keep them quiet for a while giving something that will take everything away from us. Are you getting the actual centre forward that Manchester United need at this moment in time? I'm, I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. Cavani was just hitting the notes. Now Cavani's not getting a run. So the problem is every time he goes in, he's massively ring rusty. Every yeah. time he goes in. So he needs a run of games and he helps that the way they want to play. He, he helped... Um, Fernandes, because he, he knew that he was making those runs. Mason Greenwood and Cavani were just getting an idea of each other, sizing each other up. Then you think yourself, Sancho would come into that. That might might have made a difference for him, that different kind of movement, rather than somebody who's reasonably static. Yeah. In the sense of Ronaldo, who's dropping deep into midfield when you're wanting to be a centre-forward. That's what he's become now, centre-forward. Don't drop in to become a central midfield player. You know, so... The worrying, so two things really have got to change, really, is that Oli's got to maybe look to reconstruct what he's got next to him on the bench, look at that situation and get 
more experience in to help him, or there has to be a change up top, to be perfectly honest, with Ollie, because it's, it's going to be now, while there's still an opportunity for things to improve, especially with January coming up as well, to let quite a few go, to bring in maybe personnel in that middle of the park who could maybe just tighten things up in there and add, a, add some cohesion in there, familiarity with each other of what they're going to do next, or they carry on as they are and hope that maybe he can get a Champions League spot again and then everyone can then start talking about, well, we're in the Champions League again and, you know, no league title, um, maybe <clears> get to a final and might win. Because yeah. that's the point where point there must be a point one where one where you think yourself chugging along doing the same thing all the time and that's not Manchester United's way. People no. talking every time you speak to people, everyone goes, after watching that Man City Liverpool Liverpool Man City game, we can see that those two teams are too far away from Manchester United for yeah. them to get anywhere near winning the league. And it doesn't matter if United go strong, nick a draw against Liverpool or beat Liverpool. At the end of the day, when you look over a season, Liverpool are going to win more games than Manchester United. Yeah, no, it's brutally honest. And um, we can't disagree with anything that you said. Um, I'll add a couple of things on, onto it from um, my point of view. Patrick says, just to bridge the gap here, I'm concerned with Ollie and coaching staff, how certain things are repeated without ever being fixed, poor possession play, no midfield dominance, set pieces, lack of structure and shape, soft centre mentally. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they brought in a set piece uh, coach. We don't know, obviously, it wasn't working at the weekend, um, but, uh, you know, they, they they brought someone in to, to at least try and address that. Wayne, really. Wayne, let, let me just, Wayne, let me just say this bit here. For, I sound like an old man, but when I, when, when I was at United, we had... First team coach, Brian Kidd, and a manager, Sir Alex. We had a physio. You know, we had a physio. We, you know, we had we had a kit manager. You know, and then we had and then we had an assistant physio. And they kind of sat on the bench and we worked. And if, if things weren't right, set piece wise, Brian Kidd would come in. And Brian Brian Kidd would sort that out. The boss will have his opinion, Brian Kidd will set it up, and then we'll we'll go through it. He didn't just suddenly bring in one person. One. So what did he do? His coaching badges just on set pieces, you know. Yeah, it, I don't it, know. This is a this is English football. It's not American football where you have an individual for every little thing and have a thousand people wearing tracksuits with nice boots who turn up and look at look at everybody. You know, you don't you don't need that many people. You don't you know you don't see ten people in the kitchen to make a casserole. Mm. No, yeah, why I, they got why, why I totally don't I don't agree with it. What do you need? To, and all of a sudden now, everyone now is talking about oh, they bought a set piece coach and he's doing a good job. And to really sum it all up, really, I could not believe, could not believe this hit me late. Is that they they flew a hundred miles in an airplane? That doesn't help. Mm. Wow, incredible! Manchester United fly to Leicester. It was a couple of weeks after the the green game, wasn't it? Was it Chelsea Spurs? They the made a big mm. fuss about it being the carbon neutral, and, and then we can um, <laughs> counterbalance yeah. it with a, 
Uh, I, know, I know that's a little bit off scale, but that's, that was just coming, that was in my head. That was bugging me. I could not believe that this didn't help. Nothing, it just didn't help the situation, hasn't helped the situation to go and do something like that. They spent yeah. more time in an airport and on mostly there on, you know, everything around that than what they mostly would have done if they sat in a bit of traffic. Yeah. Um, to Patrick's point about the midfield, obviously it's a point we've laboured on many, many times. I don't think that something that obvious is missed by the club. I just think that there was a list of emergencies and we've talked about them over the years and it just so happened that this year's was a defensive emergency in a midfield one. We had the money to um, buy the defender and uh, well, we got a great defender, Varane still settling in and it looks pretty good when, when he has played. Then there's the argument, was Sancho necessary or, or do you go in and get a midfielder? I mean, that's the, these are the, the decisions basically of what Ollie's reign is going to be judged upon. Um, I just think, like, you know, the, that's the other thing as well. You've, you've mentioned it earlier, and I do want to come out and reiterate that one of my biggest concerns about making big changes is that there's been a massive infrastructure overall at the club, and they've invested so much in the new staff, in the new scouting system, the new youngsters, all of this under this setup with this way of thinking. And we have become stable, and you have a risk of throwing away stability just as you do with any change of manager. I'm not talking about the first team results here because it's not indefinite and you don't stay on a sinking ship just because it's friendlier than the last one. And only and all the staff will know that. The problem is that when you make these big changes, you do risk losing the good that you've built. Um, and I do wonder, and it's this point that I keep coming back to, Paul, I wonder, and we'll get on to the structure of the side now, if... Ollie's been too trusting in giving the players too much time to prove themselves because he, you know, he played Martial against Everton and fair enough he came in and scored, but he's not in the side for the next game. And, and no one's buying an eyelid because he probably shouldn't be in the squad, but why play him against Everton? Play Sancho there, do you know, give him that chance. And I wonder if now we're at that point where, well, I, I said it last last week on the pod that we're we are at that point where these decisions are defining his reign because I keep going back to when he first got the job and the players were proving themselves to him and to the club. He showed himself to be quite tactically adept. He used a number of different position uh, positional shapes and everything. Like that. He was very good with his formations. Uh, changing it up in games as well. And I think he has to go back to those basics and sort of say, like, look, do you know what? I did trust you. I've given you the trust, but my job's on the line now and I need to go back to trying to win games. And the case in point, as always, is Paul Pogba. Paul, um, and he came out after the game and he talked about how it wasn't good enough. He said similar things before under Mourinho in, his, in Mourinho's last season. I don't see how Pogba's helped this situation at all. I, you know, all right, he's played well, but Ollie's catered to his every whim to to make sure that he played well. Do you know he's played him in multiple positions that have resulted in the imbalance of the team just to have Pogba in. And don't get me wrong, he's played well in some of those games, and and because of Ollie pandering to him, he's played his best football for the club, but he's still not been regularly enough. He's had this contract in front of him for more than a year. And he's not only not signed it, which is his right to do, by the way, he doesn't have to sign a new contract, but his agent still comes out and talks about it, often before big games, and creates a lot of noise, unnecessary noise and pressure. Now, all he's talking about tough decisions, what he's going to make, he actually said something along those lines, he's going to have to start making tough decisions. But we're in a position where he's not 
protecting an asset anymore because Pogba's going to be able to sign for another club in six weeks for nothing. So there's no wisdom. I don't think there's any wisdom because he doesn't seem to have any intention of signing a new deal because it would have been signed by now. Why throw a Sanchez-type deal at him? That's going to be the last bad decision that you make. Do you know, I would say for whatever time he's got left, look at that midfield dilemma he's got and look for a solution that doesn't include Pogba and maybe includes some form of reshaping in the side. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, sort of do away with this 4 2 3 1. It's all right talking about protection, but we said it against Villa and we said it against Everton. They're not, the protection isn't protecting, so there's no point having it anymore. He said about Ronaldo, I just want to make a quick point on that, that, you know, obviously he's not a pressing forward, but he was scoring goals when he first came into the side. Um, Cavani in the team, and I wonder, you know, obviously Cavani is a player who's going to chase around and he's going to press from the front. And I wonder if you've restructured the side to have both of them in and have Fernandez as one of two in midfield. Now, I'm not excusing Ronaldo uh, because, I, you know, I'm having a few concerns about him. Uh, whether or not he's the cherry when you don't have a cake. But one of United's issues is that all of the forwards are selfish players. None of them are creative players. You don't have a crosser in there, apart from, I mean, Cavani I've mentioned as someone who will do selfless running, but who else is crossing in there? Who else is creating the chances? The only thing I can think of with the setup that we've got with Cavani and with Ronaldo, knowing that you've got to play Ronaldo, you're not going to play one of the greatest ever. You're still going to play games. And I wonder if you look at a player like Greenwood and you play a player like Rashford, and I know that people are going to say oh, they both scored at the weekend, but maybe you look at Lingard and ask Sancho to do a little bit of this donkey work and maybe getting busy players like Lingard and, and Cavani in there, not necessarily creative, but we don't have the crosses in the front line, that you have them in there to make the space, you know what I mean, to create the space and create a little bit of havoc in there. Maybe that can be the sort of impacts that we need in the front line in the coming games. I, I, mean, I don't know if Sancho will do that kind of work. Um, I, I don't know if that's another change that's too massively unnecessary. Do you know what I mean? If you just work at fixing the midfield. But I, I think, Paul, because of the Ronaldo signing, it's given him this headache, hasn't it? That he's like Now he's got an extra headache. He's basically got three headaches in the side. He's lucky that De Gea's in form because that could have easily been full positional headaches that he's got. Yeah, well, the higher one, he's got away quite lightly because of the Henderson situation at the start of the season. De Gea has come in. Henderson's not getting a mention now, is he? You know, and there was a majority of United fans who wanted De Gea out. And even I always turn around and say, I always thought myself, he's, he's a better goalkeeper. So we've seen that situation already, given the current climate. He's the one to have in goal because of the fact of De Gea's experience and that that experience over the years and that international experience is far greater needed at this moment in time than Henderson, who had the only experience of playing championship football. Yeah. Completely different scenario from that point of view. I look at um, the Ronaldo one, I just think that was something that was, <clears> Oli <throat> didn't need that this season. He really didn't need everything. And, I think he's found out what happened against Everton. And then obviously the situation with Sir Alex, who people said to me, oh, we shouldn't be saying things like that, Sir Alex. He actually wasn't saying it out there for public consumption, to be perfectly honest. It wasn't. It made, he just said something generally as somebody who had an opinion. He's been a manager and just had an opinion. And it's one, but I think he's 
justified because even I said it, you don't leave him on the bench. The best thing you could have done with Ronaldo, you turn us, you don't have him on the bench. If you're not going to start him, don't have him on the bench because you know that cameras are going to be panning every two minutes to him. And when things don't go right, the director in the gallery is going to go, go and see, see if Ronaldo's saying anything, see if he's in the action, look for that, look, look to see if he's trying to coach on the bench. So Oli put himself in a situation he should never have done. Common sense for me says playing. At some point, he's going to need a rest. And you can do that off the back of how many games you play him. And you can see it. He might have to start, to be honest, but you could have not put yourself in that position. I think if he had, if he had initially actually come out and started him, there wouldn't have been a problem. I think we would have seen a better performance against Everton. But I think by doing that, it affected everybody. The 11 of the fans supporting that stadium as well wonder what's going on here. So a lot of players were put under pressure. But I look at the Sancho one. Now that um, Rashford is now fit, Oli's going to be forced to play Marcus Rashford. Everything mm-hmm. says... He's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to be forced to play him in the sense of politically, he's going to be forced to play him. To have him to, because and if, I'm, if I'm Sancho, I think myself, right, I've gone in there, it's a poor performance. Um, Rashford's come in, he scored. That's taken me back another, and I've gone back another step now. I've signed here and I've gone back another step. It's a Champions League game. I'm not going to be starting where I would have been starting for Dortmund in the Champions League game. Dortmund are a better Champions League team of, of of late than what Manchester United have been, but yet I'm I'm not starting. And he's wondering himself, what have I gone and done? Mm. You know, he's get he's getting the point in the moment. He's becoming the new um, Van der Beek at this moment in time. He's mostly you know, he's mostly wondering like a bit like that. Both it's the worst thing could happen. There's a picture of those two chatting together in a moment in time. So. It's just there's too many little scenarios which are happening which shouldn't be happening to a club of that level that's yeah. going on. And he's building him, he's building everything up into it's going to end up steam's going to be coming out somewhere, and I just don't know where it's going to be released. But there's too many little little plots just starting. For me, Cavani should be starting. He earned the right of what he'd done last season. If yeah. you look at him, Fernandez earned the right, without a doubt. Cavani's coming, and when he's coming, he earned the right to start the season. But everyone forgot about him because of Ronaldo. But the team was better because of Cavani. Look how many late goals he scored. Even when he came off the bench and he started playing, his movement caused problems. At the moment, there's no movement in that front line. It may be in wider areas, but if then they think, right, OK, deal with that in the wider areas. What's happening in the middle? And then virtually what you've got is a modern-day six-foot-odd centre-forward who's got incredible experience at top-level football, scored scored more goals than anybody else, but his, his movement is not going to be maybe as sharp as what a Cavani is. So yeah. at the moment, United are quite static from the front line. Is he going to close? Is he going to close down like anybody else? No, he's, it's not, that's not part and parcel of his game. When he was yeah. at Real Madrid playing that role, he started to play that role. And then when he went to Juve, was he doing that? No, he wasn't. The team worked around his weaknesses to then build towards his strength. And the problem is his strength is to get the ball in the box. And there's no one who's going to do that. Yeah. They, haven't, they haven't got anybody to do that on off that side. We look at um, 
Mason Greenwood. Mason Greenwood is always going to step in off it and hit the ball in with his left foot more than his right. And sometimes mm. you just want the cross coming in either side, really. Sometimes it's great to get a cross. And Ronaldo wants the crosses maybe coming from the byline, coming back away from goal for him to go and attack. We've seen centre-forwards over the years. We've seen Ronaldo score them. Balls coming in. We only call great balls, inverted balls coming in off either side. We only call them great balls when someone gets at the end of them. Otherwise, they're called, oh, it's easy for the goalkeeper. Yeah. Because they're swinging in that way. Yeah. So Rory says that. Rory says that. He goes, um, uh, Sancho is a crosser. He needs to play on the right. But we, it's what we said earlier in the pod. You know, um, you're in this situation where you've signed a player and even the players around him, I mean, they were all buzzing that Ronaldo signed, but play, play, even if you've got to adapt to your game then, because Ronaldo's still brilliant. He's not just a shell of a player, who, a shell of his former self. You can see that he can make a difference. But if you're not, you can't expect him to do it by himself. And those players, if they're not adapting their own game, they, you know, first of all, they're letting themselves down because they need to do that. Something needs to change. And even if Ronaldo's not there, something needs to change from those players to be better than what they are. They can't just just exist and say that what they are is good enough because it clearly hasn't been good enough. They need to change. I mean, that's the kind of situation that Martial's found himself in. And all the other players are in the same boat. They've just got more time to basically have what Martial had. They have that chance, do you know what I mean, to sort of put themselves right. And I think... the. the Another thing, I'm not saying this in defence of the manager, but when you're two months into that kind of issue, and it's a handful of games really, you don't sack him without giving him the chance to resolve it. And at least in the past, he has resolved situations. Um, Mike Venkman on Twitter asks this question. He says, Oli's got some great results against big teams by playing compact and taking chances on the break. Can he do that with the current players now that he's added the likes of Ronaldo? And Sancho, who aren't known for tracking back, and that's a good question. Paul, does he look at these games coming up, the the City and the the Liverpool game, and does he think what I had before worked against these guys, and I'm probably better off not playing the the new ones that I brought in? Yeah, I think I can see that. Yeah, that point of view, great. So, Champions League game, they do well. Liverpool game, they do well. Man City, they do well. All the big games coming up. The problem is, what about the other games? Yeah. What do you do in the other games? They're the ones that win your league titles. So it's all well and good not being beat by Liverpool. That season's great. Gone unbeaten against Liverpool and City. Fantastic. But haven't finished in the Champions League spot because couldn't go to Leicester and at least take a point at Leicester. Couldn't beat Everton at home. Yeah. What do you do? You've got to be, the players have got to be more rounded, surely. You know, is that where we're getting to now, where it's FIFA football, where football's got football's got an identification, which I can't, I can't put up acronyms that you can put around it, but kind of don't play him in tough games, not mentally strong. Play him, not a good footballer, but he works hard against Liverpool, Man City in Champions League games. Is that what we're going to do now? Have a squad of 45 players. And, it's just, and then you just put them in there for games and everyone goes, wow. Oh, he's played six games. Oh, he's tired. Don't play him. That one, he's tired because he's had six games this season. No, it's it's amazing, isn't it? That's my, you know, more money means that you play less games of football. I should have, I should have, wait, I should have waited 20 years. (laughs) 
Madness. Neither of us are playing any of the minute. <laughs> oh, yeah. And by, and, by, and by the way, to everyone, I was being quite cynical with that, by the way. That's what I just said myself about it. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, no, that doesn't work for me. If you can't ask players, you think, and I hate saying this, but you think what they're earning. And then yeah. you think how much they've cost you. Someone like Tensha, and you're asking him to do a little bit more. Someone's cost over 70 million, and you, you're paying him X amount, and you're you're virtually saying, well, it doesn't suit him because he ain't gonna run, doesn't really want to track back. But shouldn't you know that? Shouldn't shouldn't you know that anyway that you're signing? Well, don't go and pay all that money for him if he can't do that bit, which is fundamental of the fact of being in a team sport that you work hard for your team when you haven't got the ball or with the ball, you work just as hard and maybe that bit harder because the concentration levels have to be higher when you haven't got when you've got the ball, then you don't really want them. Surely you'll take Ronaldo to a point because of he's been done it, he's lived it. Sancho is still learning the game. He's a young boy and Oli's gone and spent 70 odd million on someone who's still very, very inexperienced in that sense. Yeah. You know, and, and, it's show, and it's showing now. It might be shown to the point of the reason why Man City were content to let him go to Dortmund. So yeah. who's, come yeah. out, who's come out winning at the moment? If you're Man City, and you're looking there, you go to the moment, you look what you've got in those areas, and you're trying to say, well, okay, we've done a bit better, but United have gone and spent 70 plus on somebody we let go. Yeah, I think if anyone's listening or watching this and thinking that maybe Paul has been a little bit harsh on Sancho, I would say that this is a product of numerous conversations. And if Sancho was playing all the time, I bet your conversation would be a little bit different. It would be give him time to settle, but he's not getting that. Do you know what I mean? He's just he's not getting the games, and that's the concern. Like you said before, and like we we'll continue to say until it changes. It does starting to feel like a Van der Beek situation, which is concerning considering um, the the length of time we were chasing him and the um, the gaping wound on the right hand side of the team, which he was meant to come in and fix. And that delivery, which Patrick again brings up um, a great point about crossing for Paul and Rory. Do the coaching staff um, instruct the inverted wingers to cross the ball? Are the crosses supposed to come from come from fullbacks? If so, it's not working. It yeah, it certainly isn't. I mean, Luke Shaw was crossing, but he's you know I think he's got a little bit carried away with himself. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, we know um, he was. I think his crossing came on at the back end of last season, but they, he's t- taken a step back, and we need him to come in from from somewhere, don't we? And um, Maybe having Sancho on the right, um, and you know, like I said before, if we don't have crosses, if we don't have crosses of the ball, which we don't tend to have, then create the the um, spaces with movement, which Lingard and Sancho might well do more than what a Rashford or a Greenwood will do, because they're the selfish players who will stop to find space for themselves rather than other players. Uh, I'm not criticising them; they're very good players at doing that. But when the system calls for a change, maybe that's one um, that that could looked at um i don't know and again what do i know they both scored at the weekend so maybe i'm, I'm going to be carried away uh, let's talk about the um upcoming games then paul atalanta we've talked about you, you do stress this often and i'm completely with you the need for a good performance um it's maybe worse for us then that it's at home they've got a great unbeaten record away um this season United have got a lot of pressure to put on a good show before the Liverpool game, haven't they? And, and to get the win because um, 
well, this is the they've got two big away games that are going to be coming up against Villarreal and Atalanta, so they need this one to be a win. And like you said, a good performance. They certainly do up against the side. I think they're sitting in the European spot at the moment. They're unbeaten away from home as well in their domestic league. So that says a little bit about them. They're reasonably quite, you know, you can see them being quite solid and seeing the way that Villarreal absolutely cut through the midfield and every occasion. I think I said it before, at one point they were going backwards through the midfield, back towards their own goal to come through it again because they just wanted to try something different the other side. I mean, they were absolutely just taking the rise in the end, the way they were playing through that midfield. And they should have really killed the game off of real. There was no reason why they should have lost that game. But in the end, you don't know who to blame on that one, Emery, or to blame the players and why Villarreal come away from Old Trafford. No. But when you look at Atalanta, they're going to be a little bit more sturdier than what um, Villarreal are. They're not going to be extravagant, maybe, as what Villarreal were when they come to Old Trafford. So it's going to be very, very difficult. The one thing you do know is that they can have quite a lot of the ball. And you know that Manchester United midfield is not. So it's going to be more about counter rather than actually anything of any great structure. Because we know that they haven't got that. They haven't got the platform at the Premier League level. And the Champions League level, you have to earn the right to have that. So it took Sir Alex a number of years to build a team to go and compete in the Champions League as he wanted to. It took time initially going from the three-player rule in the foreigner rule and then being able to then go and build. But it took him a while to get there. Oli ain't going to suddenly get there just at one game at home. And that game, that game against Villarreal shows that they are quite a way away from a team that's going to compete properly in the Champions League. So he needs something to go into those two away games. He can't afford to get beaten at home against Villarreal, especially with a game coming up after as no. well. So he's really going to... This is the time, I think you just mentioned it as well, where a good performance and a result is seriously needed to give everyone that really good feel factor going into that game at the weekend. Because it is a big, big game. I know they're all big, big games. And even, you know, and Liverpool doesn't get any bigger than Manchester United. But at this moment in time, they really do need something. And if it's about lifting the fans and the fans coming into that stadium and believing they can beat Liverpool, it's more important that players believe it as well, that they can beat Liverpool. And a good and a good performance can do that. That's what's needed from them, a really good performance, for them to believe that they can. No, it's no point in the fans believing it because the fans can't make it happen. All they can do is try. It's the players who need it most. Yeah, um, and that brings on to Liverpool then. Um, Liverpool flying at the moment, absolutely destroyed Watford. Um, although Watford were there, I mean, they've just laid down basically. Um, I'm not discounting how good Liverpool are playing at the moment. They've got all of the big ears playing well. Um, it's ominous for United. You would say that. If, in, in times gone by, that those kinds of situations elevate the United players, much like the 1980s um, tended to do. But there are also sometimes the games that come around and you think, no, do you know what? We're, we're going to get a hide in here. Um, I remember the David Moyes one um, vividly. And even last season, we made a few changes and you knew that Liverpool were going to, they, they did, just took us to clean as Old Trafford, which is embarrassing. Um, it's, 
again, we're at that point where we're st- saying about Ole, you know, it's that make or break period where you can't be sure that he's going to make, but, you know, another bad result and another poor performance is it, it's just stacking up and it would make it difficult for him to, to, to for us to see that he, he can turn it into a winning position from here. But, um, how do you see that, Paul? Are you a bit concerned um, considering the way Liverpool play? Yeah, it's going to be. It is a concern, but this is the kind of game where, and to be honest, when you mentioned the 80s, I've been watching a lot of that recently on TV, the big match revisit against Britain. Some of those performances and those games have been absolutely incredible. And you look at, and you're watching that, I'm watching that, and I think I've done almost a whole season of the 79-80 one. Um, I'm trying to think, FA Cup was Liverpool, and Liverpool won the league as well in 80. But um, it was, I think it was a Jimmy Greenoff. Jimmy Greenoff scored a winner, didn't he? Uh, old track Seven. that season. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy yeah. Greenoff scored, he scored a winner in that one. Um, and you'd have seen the fight and what they had to do. But Liverpool, the way they played is, was still in that, still playing that same fashion to what they try and play a little bit now. But the one thing I did notice is that their team hardly changed. Throughout that season, with a few little injuries, but you say seven out, seven out of maybe the 11 players played almost every single game with only one sub, generally um, David Fairclough or Abby Cohen. Yeah. You know, Dave Johnson was playing up front. And it's just a, but the, the fight was incredible, which they had. And it might be that at the weekend. And I think the, fact, the fans will accept that not to get beaten. And they'll accept the fight and blood and guts. So we might we'll see Fred and McTominay back, and all that will come back into it. But I think you have to you have to look at the the long game. And for the long game, it's not good to be in that position. You no. know, it's not it's not what you want because you know the the next the game that comes after that, you expect them to turn. You expect them to go out and go right. Okay, it's not Liverpool. It's not and control the game. But you know that's not going to happen. So one of you want more. You want the long game is that you want them to be competing with Liverpool, and that's that's all I want. You know, I want them to match Liverpool in the way they play football. More importantly, than actually just going there and blood and thunder, who can kick who and who can do this. That's got that's got to be more what Manchester United want. I'm sure more the fans want that as well. They'll take blood and guts and honesty, but I think some way you've got to be looking. You know, look at who you're playing against and say, I'm going to be better than you yeah. as a footballer, as I'm going, to, I'm going to destroy what you're going to try and do, then I'm going to try and create against you rather than just accepting destroying everywhere and maybe getting a draw or maybe nicking it by one goal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, everyone everyone then goes, that will do. And then they forget that, you know, it should, it should, be, more, it should be more important for United to, to beat Liverpool. And everyone says how well they played, they deserve to win. And now they're looking like a side that could win the league. That's, yeah. the big, that's what my idea of coming out of it as Manchester United. No, you're absolutely right. I, I cannot agree more with what you said there. Um, I think if we go back, I don't want to arc on to the Mourinho thing, but the Mourinho, his two visits, his three visits to Anfield, but two of them were nil-nils and he got a lot of criticism for the way they set up in that. The, the third one was obviously his last game. Um, I know this one isn't at Anfield, it's at Old Trafford, but it was the same kind of principle in the home games as well, like stifle them. And I'm not saying that Ollie's been any better than that, but it, 
that's the great thing is that we're three years into a reign and, and we're not we're still hoping for that kind of performance, knowing that that's going to be the best kind of thing that's going to get as a result out of the game, rather than wanting to play them off the park. And after three years, we should be expecting to be able to do that, um, especially with the investment that Ollie's had and the backing that he's had and the, the players that he's got at his disposal. We should be able... I mean, not necessarily the players that he's got at his disposal, because we all know what that midfield can and can't do. So you already automatically know that you're not going to be able to play them off the park because you don't have the midfielders to be able to do it. And that's the problem, really, is that you, you're three years into this and, and you want in to see something that um, they're not capable of, and that's where the progress needs to come. Um, but, again, knowing and understanding it's not going to come on Sunday because the players aren't, um, they're just not in the position to be able to do that, but we're going to be able to sort of push them to January and sort of see if like one midfielder can magically change a million things like let, let's let's put it on record Fernandez magically changed a lot of things in that front line just by adding that sort of pressing urgency changed a lot of things you never know what one midfielder might do for other players around him um but until that point we're still with what we've got and yet like Paul said hoping for something that you don't want to see from United but knowing that it's the best chance that they've got of getting something out of the game on Sunday um but we'll be back to talk about that next week and um, it's going to be an experience either way. Um, so if, if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a nice review or rating on Apple Podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Uh, we will be back next week. Um, stay safe, stay well, and thanks for listening and watching. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.